Correct. Got it. <laughs> and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, nope. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked them, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Uh, why don't we do this, since we're such a, a, a small crowd today, um, just say Merry Christmas to maybe someone you don't know, and maybe introduce yourself, and just um, maybe say how you ended up here this morning. Ready? You got about two or three minutes? Go. Josie. Merry Christmas. Leo. Leo. Hey, buddy. Merry Christmas. All right. We can bring it together. It's all right. It's all right. You can be merry.
Well, I have a mic, so I get to say Merry Christmas to all of you. Um, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Hope Merry you're... Christmas. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas back there, Team Ford. Um, I hope that your day has already been wonderful. Uh, I'm going to be very brief this morning as we continue our journey through John chapter 1. That's what we've been doing during the season of Advent, talking a lot about who Jesus is and uh, the identity of Jesus as the one who was the Word made flesh, the very creator of the universe, who became human, who walked among us, who became like one of us, um, so that we might be welcomed back into relationship with God. This is what, what the good news is, and this is what we're centered on here at Jacob's Well. The text that Alan just read for us is a continuation in John 1, and it's more of a, I guess what I would kind of title this is, if, the, if everything that we've read so far in John 1 is about the identity of Jesus, this text really is a reminder about who we are. And uh, who we are, as we'll find out, is really only made clear in relation to Jesus. So we're still talking about Jesus here. But I love how this text moves into what our proper response is to, to the enormous, incredible, uh, world-changing truth of who Jesus is. Uh, and so we start in verse 19, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Who are you? They ask him. So this is John the Baptist who has uh, caused quite a stir in Jerusalem at that time. He is announcing, if you were with us last night, we talked a little bit about this. He's announcing that God's great intervention, what Rachel was up here shouting about, uh, was happening, that, that God was intervening in the story of the human community, here to make right all that had gone wrong from the beginning. And he's telling people that this is all about to happen and that they need to prepare their hearts for it, that they need to feel their need for what God is uniquely going to bring, and that he's calling them specifically to, to respond to this in an embodied way by undergoing this ritual of baptism, thus how we've known this character down through the ages as John the Baptist. And so this is causing quite a scene. People are going out to him. There's, there's faith rising among God's people that, that maybe what they had waited centuries for was finally happening. And so the powers that be at that time, the, the religious authorities of that time, send people out to do a bit of an investigation to say, what, what exactly is going on here? Is this legit? Because even they themselves, as often happens among the powerful and among those who believe that they know God best, they say, we're, we're not sure that God could really be doing something as spectacular as what this one is suggesting. And so they go out and they say, who are you to John the Baptist? And what's beautiful here is that before he says anything about who he is, John the Baptist has all of these I am not statements. And what many scholars have noticed about this opening scene with John the Baptist is it's this beautiful contrast to one of the central themes of the rest of the Gospel of John that we'll look at over the next number of months here at Jacob's Well, where the early parts of the Gospel of John are very much structured around these I am statements of Jesus. So Jesus will say things like, I am the bread of life. I am living water. I am 
the good shepherd. In fact, there's seven of these that Jesus says that very much structures the gospel. Well, here at the beginning of the gospel, we have a witness to Jesus. We have one responding to Jesus who begins not with I am, but with I am not. And that's what's so essential to understand about ourselves. If there's anything that the Christmas story reminds us of, it's, it's who we are not. And stunningly, it's in the who we are not that joy comes, that freedom comes, that hope actually enters into our story. Specifically, what they're asking John here is, uh, first and foremost, he knows that their question suggests, hey, are, do you have the audacity to think that you're the one who has come to rescue God's people? Do you think that you're the one who fills out this profile that we've been putting together for centuries of the Messiah, of the Christ here? And so John gets out ahead of even that question. And verse 20 says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I am not the Savior of the world. And in many ways, this is the heart posture of one who is actually ready to accept what Jesus has come to do, which is, I am not the Savior. I am not one who can take the mess of my life and make it something beautiful and worthy. I am in, in need of a Savior. I am not the Savior. And this is our appropriate posture, especially on a day like Christmas, to say precisely the reason why we sing about this one who came to bring redemption and freedom and forgiveness and salvation to us. The reason why we shout, the reason why all of these songs have been written for centuries is because we are not that. We are those who stand in need of that. And so like John the Baptist, let us be those who confess, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. They go on to ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? This was part of the promises in the Old Testament that a figure like Elijah would come who would bear witness to the coming of the Messiah. And he says, I am not. They ask him, are you the prophet? This is from Deuteronomy 18 for you Bible nerds, uh, which is very much a messianic figure, uh, a figure like the Messiah. And he says, no. Notice that his answers get briefer and briefer. He says, I am not the Christ. I am not, and then he just says, no. Or as Alan paraphrased it, nope, <laughs> right? Like his answers get more, he says, no, 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 you have it all wrong if you think that I within myself believe that I am something that I am not, something that there is only one who will truly be. Just a little side note, again, this is, this is bonus for you, is it's really interesting that actually in the Gospel of Matthew, you can look this up. In Matthew 11, uh, 13 to 15, Matthew 17, 12 to 13, Jesus actually says that John the Baptist was the Elijah figure who, who was to come and who was to foretell the coming of the Messiah. And, and as one scholar puts it, it's almost as though John the Baptist, in saying, I am not, I am not, I am not, renounces more of his identity than Jesus will when Jesus comes and speaks a word over and, and I think that there's just kind of this, this subtle, this nuanced, but beautiful truth in that. That sometimes the initial posture that we have before Jesus is, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm totally unworthy, I'm totally other than. And then Jesus comes in and he says, yeah, you're not the Messiah, but you're more than you think you are. 
I just love that little note here that John the Baptist is actually renouncing something that Jesus will establish later on in Jesus' own ministry. And so he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. This is from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And this is what John the Baptist says. He says, I, I'm just a voice. I, I'm just one who is trying to announce something that, that will not be fulfilled. I'm just a voice. I'm, I'm just a messenger. I think of the phrase, like, don't kill the messenger here, right? Like, he's saying, I'm merely one who is speaking of another one. I'm merely a voice. And again, this is a beautiful confession that we can all embrace. That as followers, especially for those of you who are followers of Jesus, right? We are but a voice. We are witnesses of something far grander than ourselves. We are, we are signs pointing beyond ourselves. Right? Like if you've ever been to some of the great locations in our country or all over the world, I've always thought of it this way. It's like you're headed towards the Grand Canyon and you come up to a sign that says Grand Canyon, 14 miles this way. And to, and to end with this sense of, man, I am so wonderful. I am something. I, I, can, I can make something of myself apart from God's intervention is like saying, look at the sign and admire the sign. And sit at the sign and say, what a beautiful sign. Look at the lettering. Look at the font they chose. That 14 is so beautifully placed next to the words Grand Canyon. And the point would be, get beyond the sign. It's pointing to something far greater. You see, this is what our lives are. Our lives are signs and symbols at most of a far greater reality. And yet what we point to, what we have the dignity of pointing to. Right? Sometimes <laughs> if I could sort of... Uh, personify that, that sign for a second and weirdly extend the metaphor. It's like, man, if you were going to be made a sign for anything, what a cool thing to be made a sign for, right? You could have been dead end. You could have been, you know, stop here. You could have been whatever, right? You're pointing to something, one of the most amazing things human eyes will ever set themselves on. This is the dignity that we have to be signs of the greatest thing of all. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. I love what one scholar calls these. He says the serious people is what he calls the Pharisees throughout the Gospel of John. The serious people, the people who are doctrinally correct and making sure everything is in order. We don't have these types anymore in the church. Thank God. That's a joke, right? Like the serious people, they asked him, then why are you baptizing? How dare you have the audacity to baptize? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. I love this. The serious people come and they say, then how dare you? How dare you even think that you're pointing to something real? What you're saying is too spectacular. It's too amazing. This idea that God might enter the human story and do something about our deepest needs. Where does that adapt? Remember, these are religious people. These are religious people who have grown so cynical in the apparent absence of God that they're saying what you're saying is, is, is too great to even believe. Do you know that sometimes religion 
And our faith can become so stale, can become so familiar to us that we grow cynical that God can actually still intervene and do things in the world. Right? Like some of you maybe consider yourselves not religious at all. And there's an invitation to actually move toward God in that. Some of us have grown too religious and have grown too familiar with the story of Christmas and say, yeah, it's Christmas, God came in flesh. Yeah, we get it. What does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with anything? It has to do with everything in our lives. I love what this passage suggests. John, John, in John's answer, he says, I baptize with water. But notice what he says. He says, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He says, stands one among you you do not know. Do you know what this suggests? This suggests they come, John the Baptist is, is doing what he's doing, and he's got these crowds that are following him, and he's out in the Jordan River, and, and you can imagine the scene. There, there's a bunch of people there, and here he stands, and one by one they come out to be baptized, and then the serious people come, the religious people, the people who have all their ducks in a row theologically, and they come out, and they're interviewing him. They're sort of pointing their finger in his chest, and he says, there stands one among you that you do not know who actually is all these things. That means almost certainly Jesus is there in this moment. When he says Jesus stands among you, that's not like a metaphorical. It's like a very precise, it's a a very factual way that he states that. He says there's one here right now listening in on this conversation. You just don't know him yet. He just hasn't been identified properly yet. And just think again of the audacity of this. If he's saying, no, 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 not me, not me, not me, but there is one. There is one in flesh right now one of us, a human being, not a spiritual God, not not a God who exists in all nature, a person is listening in on this conversation right now who does fit that exact description of the Messiah, of the Christ, of the prophet who was to come. And I love what John the Baptist says. He just gives us one more reminder. He He says, I am not worthy even to bend down and to tie his shoes, right? The, the, the ultimate act of, of, of humbling ourselves, right, is, is to get down and imagine uh, tying another adult shoe in public. It's like the ultimate act of humility. He says, I'm not even worthy of that, right? John the Baptist is again saying, no, no, this is not about my worthiness, but there is one who is worthy. And I love that he says, and he's standing among you now. What's so beautiful about this phrase is, is it shows up just two other times in John's gospel. Listen to this. This is in John chapter 20. If you know the story, you'll you'll pick up on the context here. In John chapter 20, it says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of those serious people, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Jesus came and stood among them. When is this happening? Who knows? After the crucifixion. Exactly. His disciples have hidden themselves away. It says this in John chapter 20, verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, hiding away. They were afraid. And Thomas this time was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
It's always when people least expect Jesus to be there <laughs> that he stands among them, that all of a sudden he's, he's with them, he's present with them. He does it here at the beginning of his ministry. He's, he's sort of, you can imagine him hanging back as this interview is going on, and he knows full well who he is. And clearly John the Baptist at this point has, has gained insight that Jesus is among them. He'll say, Right after this passage, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says he's here now. He's with us. He's among us. And then at his resurrection again, at the high point of his disciples' fear, he stands among them. Here's what I want you to hear today. We've talked about three advents throughout this season. The first advent is is what we've been talking through. 2,000 years ago, Jesus arrives in the human story. And so we celebrate that, we look back at that, we reflect on what that means for us. But Advent is also about the coming of Jesus, his second coming, which we await. And so Advent is a season of waiting, and it's an acknowledging that the full weight of what Jesus has done has not been applied in this world, because we remain in a world of brokenness and sickness, even as I hear sniffles in this room, right? And of sadness as we miss those, especially on a holiday like this, who have gone before us. And so we await the second coming of Jesus. But there's a third advent. And we've said that third advent is the coming of Jesus into our stories now. Because Jesus didn't come 2,000 years ago and then await to arrive whenever he will arrive at the end of history. You see, he's always coming to us. This is what John the Baptist is saying. He's saying, I'm baptizing with water. I'm just doing an external sign of an internal reality that I'm not capable of producing. But he is. You see, by the Spirit of God, God comes and makes himself present with us. You see, Jesus stands among us today, here and now. And so I just couldn't help as I was preparing for and thinking through what would we do for Christmas, the more that I thought about this passage, the more I realized, is there a more beautiful thing to say on Christmas than we're not just singing about him and his arrival 2,000 years ago? Do you have faith to believe today that he stands among us? That he's present here now? He's with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's made himself present within you. And yet we miss him so often, as the serious people did back then. Even as his disciples after his death, though he had said again and again to them, I'll come back to you. I will be near to you. It's better that I go away because by going away, I can make myself more present to all of you. And now here we stand 2,000 years later and we think, where are you, God? Where are you? And he's always standing among us. Sometimes in the place, maybe especially in the place of our deepest fears, of our deepest hurt, of our deepest pain, it's precisely when we wonder, where are you, God, that so often he shows up and he stands among us. And we say, How good is he that in those moments where we feel most desperately his absence, that's where so often his presence comes in surprising ways, in ways we couldn't have anticipated. So my hope for you on this Christmas morning is not just that you would look back 2,000 years ago, not just that you would look forward and say, oh, one day that these things would be applied to every square inch of creation, but that you would say, Jesus, let me see you now. 
Let me see the ways in which you're coming into my story now. Let me hear your voice and what you're trying to speak to me. Words of comfort, words of challenge, words of encouragement. God, where are you? God, give me eyes to see how you're moving in the people around me and how maybe... Maybe I wish that you would be bodily present with me like you were here, but God, you say it's better because by making yourself present uh, within your people, God, you're sending people to me to be your presence for me. Do you know that that's how he often works? Is we say, God, where were you? And I think so often when we say, God, where were you? He's going to name the people he put in our lives. Say, well, I was present to you through this person and through that text message you got and through this encouragement you got. So my prayer for you is that you would have eyes to see where Jesus is standing among you in your story in this season. No matter how hard it is, maybe it's a joyful season, but I know for many, this is just a hard season. But he's standing among us. This is what he came to do. Emmanuel, not back then in one day, but now. Baptizing us with his very spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you do come to us. God, now. And you come to us in, in a special way through this table. And so, God, as we remember that, as we meditate on that, Lord, I pray that you would show up in a special way for each one of us, even in the busyness and the noise and the plans and all of that of a Christmas day. God, make yourself present to us here and now. God, thank you that you chose this, that you loved us enough to not leave us as we were, to not leave us in our unworthiness. But God, you made us worthy, which is just mind-boggling. God, because we know ourselves. We know what we are not. And yet because of who you are, um, God, you have made us worthy to know you, to be your own. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.